Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Um, we're starting a series today that um, we've just titled Five. And what we're going to be covering over the next few weeks coming into Easter are the five places that Jesus Christ bled for our redemption. And uh, I want to encourage you to get your, your expectors up and ready to receive something really powerful. Um, we're going to be talking about the first place where he bled, circumcision. The second place, the Garden of Gethsemane. The third place, the Crown of Thorns. The fourth, the Whipping Post, the Scourge, the Roman Scourge. And fifthly, Golgotha, the cross. And so today, I am really, really excited and honored and privileged to tag team preach with my dad. And uh, dad is going to start today off with the place of circumcision. I'm glad he's covering that. So I want everybody to give a huge, huge, huge welcome to Pastor John today. Thank you very much. God bless you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Very kind. Amen. We're talking about the blood of Jesus and what it means. And before we get too far into it, I want to uh, explain to you, for those of you who may not be aware of this, why in church we talk about blood so much and why we've written so many songs and sing so many songs about blood. It seems, you know, if you, if you just come into a Christian church and you don't know anything about it, 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 it could seem that we are a bit uh, gruesome because <laughs> we glorify and we celebrate blood. I mean, we even have a meal, right, that we say is the body and blood of Jesus. So uh, there, there, there's, I think, some explanation needed. Why must there be blood? Why must there be blood? In the laws of hermeneutics, that is the science for interpreting the Bible, uh, there are certain laws for, for interpretation that help you understand what the Bible means. One of those laws is a law called the law of first mention. If you can locate where a subject is mentioned first, you can often find the, the actual real meaning for why that thing is in the Bible. And if we use the law of first mention to find why there's so much blood in the Bible, it is revealed in Genesis 4.10 as the very first mention of the word blood. If you guys could put that up there, it's not in my notes, but I just felt the need to share it today. Genesis 4.10, it says of, Ab of, uh, of Abel's death, Cain having killed his brother, and you all know this story well, and God said to Cain, where is your brother? And you get that famous line, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Amen. Well, you are if you've killed him. <laughs> Maybe not every day, but on that day, there's an expectation on you. Verse 10, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We, this begs a few questions. Why did Cain not hear that blood talking? Why did Adam not hear that blood speaking? Why did Eve, who had carried Abel in her womb, not hear that blood crying out? 
The reason was blood doesn't necessarily speak the language of men. But apparently, blood speaks the language of God. You learn something powerful in the law first mentioned, that blood talks for us when we don't know how to talk to God. And on the day that Adam and Eve sinned, the voice of God came walking in the cool of the day. Pastor Eric said in the early service, God did not lose any, his ability to communicate to men. Adam heard God's voice that day. What Adam lost was his ability to communicate, to, to speak back to God. And that's why all, see, because the first thing out of his mouth is, I was afraid. Well, this is not the language of God. Every time Jesus had people around him afraid, he said, stop being afraid. Yeah. It, it works against faith. Do you understand that faith and fear are two different things completely? They, in fact, they're opposites, opposite forces. So Adam lost his ability to talk to God. He didn't know how to pray. And you find that Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. These are born Jews, and they don't know how to pray. And they know they don't know how to pray because they heard Jesus pray. And they knew, wow, they don't have a clue. Religion can't teach you to pray. All through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, anytime they brought their prayers to God, they had to bring a blood sacrifice. Why? So the blood could speak for them. Can I have a good amen? You it helps you, I think, understand why we have to talk about blood and understand it, what it does for us and did for us in our relationship to God. So circumcision is the first time Jesus bled for our redemption. Most people, when they're counting the times and stations of the blood, bloodshed of Christ, they never count circumcision. And may I say to you, Jesus could have, Jesus could have been crucified for our sins. He could have... He could have been crucified. He could have bled in the garden, sweating blood. He could have been beaten with the Roman scourge. He could have worn the crown of thorns, and none of it been for, and it would have all been for naught, I should say, had he not been a circumcised man when it happened. That's right. Did you hear this? He had to be circumcised first. It had, he had to have undergone that ritual in Judaism. That bloodshed had to have taken place. Because there's so much more to it, and we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. <clears throat> As I'm just making this first point, Pastor Eric's coming to take over in just a few minutes. But you have to understand that all that happened in redemption started on the eighth day of his life, for which he did not have a choice. Yeah. I'm not saying that eight-day-old babies don't have opinions, but they don't get to make their own choices. All right? Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. Let's read it together. I've got a grandson back there, born on the 25th day of January, and he has opinions. But his mom and dad make the choices. When I was a parent, and I still am, but I mean when I was raising children, when I was a parent and not a grandparent, I did not know how to make a child cry. It seemed like everything I tried to make them stop made them worse. You know, I griped at them, and they got their feelings hurt, and they cried more. I spanked them, and, of course, that didn't make them stop crying. <laughs> I took things away from them. They cried more. I learned as a grandparent how to make a child stop crying. You give the baby what he wants. Yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> it's a real simple thing. <laughs> <laughs> my children don't agree with that see because they're still parents All right, Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 
And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The name was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, but it wasn't official until he was circumcised. They came, they registered his name in the book in the little synagogue somewhere near Bethlehem, if not right in Bethlehem, or, or some gathering place there. This was not in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, and eight days later they were still in Bethlehem. They didn't go to Nazareth until sometime later. All right? In fact, they spent quite a bit of time in Bethlehem. They spent quite a bit of time in Egypt before, as a boy, as a young boy, they wound up in Nazareth. But he's still in Bethlehem. And later in that passage, we're not going to read it, but later in that passage it says, when Mary's purification was finished, and that was a 40-day purification for a, for a male child, it took the first seven days and then another 33 days. If she had given birth to a, or if a Jewish girl gives birth to a, 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 a daughter, then that's an 80-day purification. I don't know why it takes so much longer to get women right, but anyway, it, it, just, it just seems like it does. I mean, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reporting on what's there. But <laughs> she, uh, 40 days after, after Jesus was born, that's when they took him to Jerusalem, and that's where they came in contact with Anna, the prophetess, and uh, Simeon, who, who, lived, who said, I just want to live to see the Messiah. But this thing, of, this thing of circumcision with the Lord Jesus, his name was called Jesus in Bethlehem, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. As I studied this, and I've taught these around all of these things, I have a whole series on the blood covenant. And Pastor Eric and I have discussed these things through the years. And but he asked me to speak on this, and as I studied it out, I found something alarming to me. I had never made this connection. That Jesus' name becomes officially his name on the eighth day of his life. Officially. I mean, it was spoken beforehand, but it's official. They named him Jesus officially on the day of his circumcision. This takes me to Genesis chapter 17. When God appears to Abram, a-B-R-A-M, Abram, Avram, they say in Hebrew. They, they, his name means father, Avram, Abram. And God appears to him and says, I don't like your name, basically. And he says, I want you to be called Abraham. See, I have made you a father of many nations. That means that God's already talking about him in heaven as though he is the father of many nations. And we find out what that really means in Romans chapter 4 later when the revelation of Paul says God wasn't saying of many nations. God was saying of all nations. That is, he's going to be the heir of the world. That's what it says in Romans 4. What God was really saying with the name Abraham, I'm giving you the world. Wow, the heir of the whole world. And then, so, so, so he says, from now on, you're going to be named Abraham. Not Abram, Abraham, which means heir of the world, father of multitudes of nations. And then in Genesis 17, he says to Abraham, now you be circumcised. I had never seen before, and I hope you see it today, that there's a connection between the name and the circumcision. 
the name and the circumcision. That's why the Bible teaches us. It even says it a couple of times in the book of Deuteronomy, but it's all through Pauline doctrine that we have not been circumcised in our flesh, but we've been circumcised of the heart. How many of you know women really can't be circumcised unless they're circumcised of the heart? This is for everybody. This is a circumcision that everyone needs to get in on, a circumcision of the heart. And it's the moment his name is applied to your life, the moment you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Whoever believes that he died for their sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day and will name that Jesus is Lord. When you will say, I believed in Jesus, I believe that what Jesus went through was for me. And I believe that that same Jesus not only was buried, but he rose again the third day. That makes him God. That makes him bigger than you. That makes him bigger than all my mountains. That makes him bigger than all my troubles. And I'm putting all my hopes, all my dreams, all my desires, and especially my faith in that name. Glory be to God. And a circumcision takes place as soon as the name is applied to you. <laughs> I don't know if that blesses you, but that, I just preached me happy right there. Hope it helps you. There's power in his name. I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan for a long time, and I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, all six of us are really happy about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to quit going to watch them. I, I, I've been to see them I don't know how many times, a dozen or so or more times I've been to football games, maybe more than that. I think they've won two games out of all those that I went to see. Teams we should have just clobbered, like the Denver Broncos, like the New York. <laughs> he said, they move along. I mean, it seems we should have just beaten bad, you know, but we'd get beat because I'm there. I, I, I don't know why else. So I just quit going. But I love the Cowboys. And I know something about the Dallas Cowboys, as in every football team. When they come... Cowboy Stadium. We used to call it Texas Stadium, you know, but now they're at Cowboy Stadium. Jerry World. Jerry Wood, like Dollywood. When they come in there, they come in there Presbyterian. Those cowboys, they come in, they come in there Lutheran. They come in there Catholic. They come in there Charismatic, Pentecostal. They come in there Baptist. They come in there white. They come in there brown. They come in there black. They come in there every color. They come in there, some of them barely graduating college. Some of them summa cum laude. Not many of those, but... <laughs> <laughs> they come in there from every economic strata. They come in there just barely getting by. They come in there high-powered millionaires. But a transformation takes place with those boys when they come in that stadium and they go through that tunnel and they go into that locker room. Back there, they start taking off things. You know, even Dion, as flashy as when he wore purple. Remember that? Remember Michael Irvin, you know, he had that big pimp hat? Remember that? All that went away when he went to that locker room. A kind of circumcision was taking place, getting rid of all that made them what they used to be. And when they come out of that tunnel, glory be to God. 
They're every last one of them, from the least to the greatest, a Dallas Cowboy. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you come to Christ, you're not asked to be anything special. You're not asked to show up with all this knowledge. You're just told, believe on him. Take his name. And this for you will be all the circumcision you need. It will get rid of what used to be and bring on what's coming. Glory be to God. It will bring you into a, a new day and a new life. Can I have a good amen? Could I have a better amen? All right. God bless you. Jesus was his name. Interesting that he wasn't named after the first deliverer, Moses, drawn out. That's what Moses' name means. He was named after, you know, you can just see the little rabbi write his name down in the book. You calling him what? Jesus. Oh. Uh, You mean Yeshua. Yeah, 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 whatever. Yeshua. See, he's not going to write it in English. He's not going to write Jesus. He's going to write it in Hebrew. And to him, that name looks like Joshua. Amen. Mm. He writes Joshua down. Joshua Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. That's how they say it in Hebrew. Joshua the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. Hmm. Joshua. Oh, you're naming him after the Deliverer. That's what that name means. Jehovah saves. Jehovah delivers. You're naming him Jehovah delivers. Jehovah saves. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting that Moses' name meant delivered from, but Joshua's name meant delivered to. Hallelujah. Joshua didn't bring them out. Joshua took them in. Glory be to God. Back to Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham was justified by his faith. He was justified by his faith before he was circumcised. He was justified by his faith. That means that God reckoned him to be righteous. He was made righteous by his faith. But did you all know that Abraham did not go to heaven because of that? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. I'm just saying he didn't get to go directly to heaven. He got to escape the fire. We know this because Jesus said... That one time a rich man and Lazarus, a man that Jesus knew, not Lazarus of Bethany, but a different Lazarus, had died and gone to hell. Both of them died and went into the grave, went into hell, Sheol. One went to Gehenna, the fire. The other was comforted in Abraham's bosom. And they could see the flames from there and even talk to the people in the flames. That rich man cried out, Father Abraham, he could see him. And Father Abraham talked back to him. Are you hearing this? This place no longer exists because something dramatic and drastic happened. All that Abraham's faith managed to do was keep him from going to hell. It delivered him from hell, but it did not deliver him in two until his Joshua showed up when Jesus died and went to hell and delivered, led captivity captive out of that place, emptied Abraham's bosom, and took them all right into the very presence of God. Listen, believer, when you give your heart to Christ, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe he died for your sins and that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that means you have a circumcised heart and you're carrying his name. You put on that uniform, glory be to God. You're a new creature. You're not what you were. You Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come, become new. And when that happens, then one day when you will close your eyes in death, 
It won't even feel like death. You will close your eyes and open them again in the very presence of God. Why? You're not purely living by Abraham's faith. Your Joshua has come and taken you in. How many of you are glad you're not going to hell? How many of you are not going? But, but, how many of you are even happier that you're going to heaven? Amen. It's not just enough to be a... Not just enough to be delivered out of, it's only enough to be delivered into. Welcome Pastor Eric as he comes to finish this message. Praise God. Woo! Wow. That was some good preaching. Fantastic. Now it's going to get good. All right. Take your Bibles. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Thank you, Pastor John, for that incredible, incredible message. I really am honored to uh, stand here and preach with you today, Dad. He bled at circumcision. And now we go to a place called Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 16 is a prequel coming into that. We're not there yet. But I, was, I just want to say that Jesus never, ever, ever stumbled or strayed from his mission. He told Pilate, for this cause I was born. This is why I came into the world. And he even says it in uh, another place that we're going to look at in John. But Matthew chapter 16, I've got a few scriptures to look at, so I'm going to just jump right into it. Verse 21 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, at this point, this wasn't necessarily foreign language to them, even though it was foreign. They didn't understand the purpose of it at the time because they thought Jesus, they, it didn't make sense to them that their Messiah would die, but that Jesus would die. But he kept talking to them about his death and his burial and his resurrection. And he would tell them, uh, actually, as it, the closer they got, the more literal he got with it. But he told it in figures a lot. You'll tear this temple down, I'll raise it in three days. And those kinds of things. And they just, they just couldn't get it. So here, once again, he's predicting it. He's telling, telling them what's going to happen, that he is going to um, die, be killed, and be raised the third day. And look at verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and said, can we talk for a second? I don't like the, I don't like the way this is sounding. All right? He says he took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Now, Peter's intentions are all good here. Right? He's just ignorant. He's just ignorant. He's just ignorant of what is going on. He loves Jesus and he's, no, 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 no. You're, you're supposed to be the king. And Jesus turns to him and gives no mercy to his ignorance whatsoever. <laughs> but he says, get behind me, Satan. All right, now I want to just say just a, a few verses prior to this, Jesus had just got through telling Peter that he was changing his name to rock, right? Just, just prior to this, and upon this revelation, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, Peter received this new name, and now, just a few verses later, he's saying, get behind me, Satan. He's not really calling Peter Satan. He's talking to the enemy that is behind Peter's ignorance, you are an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, 
Look at John chapter 12, verse 27. All right, so now we see clearly that Jesus is set to go fulfill his mission, right? I mean, even his best friends can't stop him. John 12, 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose or for this cause, I came to this hour. All right? Now Jesus is troubled here, right? That's what it says. He's, he's troubled. My soul is troubled, he says. And what shall I say? Should I start wavering now in my mission just because I'm troubled? Because I feel, I feel it coming? Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to sway from my mission here? He's saying this. What's the answer to that? No. He says, but for this purpose I came. The answer obviously is no. I should not pray. Save me from this hour. <laughs> it's important that we see that first before we get to the garden because this has been so misconstrued, what happens in the garden. All right? I'm going to help clear some things up today. Mark 14 now we find them there, verse 32, then they came to a place, that is Jesus and his disciples, which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. So he left nine there and took three with him. Actually, he, took, he, left, he left eight there and took three. Judas was already gone. He took eight, uh, or he was already making the deal to betray Jesus. Left eight there and took three with him. Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Did we not just read this earlier? That when Jesus was troubled, he made sure everybody knew, I'm still on my mission. Right? I'm still on my mission. Here, he became deeply troubled, or be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He's, he's sensing that he's on the threshold. He's, he feels death coming to him, coming on him. All right? This death just means separation. He senses this separation. It's something that he has never, ever, ever known. Ever. He's never known separation from God. He is God. He's never known separation from the Father. He's always been with him. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him over in Isaiah the eternal Father. Now, or everlasting Father, I should say. It says that his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. It calls Jesus everlasting father. Well, Jesus is the son. Yeah, but he's the father of everlasting, which means in the literal, it actually says he is the originator of eternity. Well, you mean there's bigger than eternity? There's longer than forever? Apparently. Apparently. Jesus made it up. He made up eternity. He's the father of eternity, the originator. Wow. And now he senses an end. He's, he's in less. And yet, he sees an end. Stay here and watch, he tells them. I'm sensing something. I'm feeling something that I've never known. Death. How is it that the resurrection and the life die? How does the originator of eternity End. Stop. Cease. Except by his own choice. 
no one could make that choice for him. He is life. John says it like this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That means without him, we're nothing. Right? He started all of it. He is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he's saying he's dying? By choice. He's chosen this, and the choice he has made is overwhelming to him at this moment. I don't think he could have ever known by choosing this. He, he couldn't have predicted how, how it would have felt because he had never experienced it before. You, 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 you know what pain feels like because you've experienced pain before, right? Pain isn't a foreign thing to you. Maybe the first time it happened, but after that. This is something he's, ne he's never known separation, never known any kind of any kind of distance between him and the Father. They've always had close communication. Even him, even him being here on the earth, he would just go away and just be with the Father for a while. Just go up the mountain and pray, right? He, would just, he had this close communion with, God, with the Father, and now he's, he senses something he's never known. It's, it's, it, it's ending. It's ending. And it's horrifying. And he says, I'm dying. Jesus didn't mince words. He was dying. He was dying. How does he die? He chooses to. And he's willing to take the consequences of his choice. How is it that men in their arrogance can then say, oh, let me just say this. If he, life, the resurrection of life, can die, then don't you know that he can make what is dead alive. If he has the power to die, then he certainly has the power to live. If he can die, then you can live. If he can die, then you can live. Are you hearing me? If he, who is all eternal, become temporary and die then he can make you who are temporary eternal. And how arrogant of men to think that by their choice that they could just stop living eternally once he has saved them. Okay, I'm just going to pass on, go on from there. All right. Wow. Life. And then, look at this. Let me just go to the scripture here. Verse 35. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, wait a second, Jesus. Didn't you just say earlier, shall I pray that this hour pass? But it's for this reason I came. Now you're going to get there and, 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 and pray that? Hmm? And I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase, this is where Jesus identifies with humanity. The struggle of humanity. It's the flesh versus the spirit. Not my will, but yours be done. There's some truth to that. There's some, but Jesus is not struggling with fulfilling his mission. He's not struggling with fulfilling his mission. It's not the cross. It's not the nails. 
It's not the stripes on his back. It's not the crown of thorns. Those things don't faze him. It's that separation from the Father that he just can't, he cannot grasp. He can't grasp it. He doesn't know how to grasp it. He's never known it. So if he's not trying to escape this mission, then what is he saying here? What is Jesus saying here? He went a little farther, fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take, everybody say this. this. Everybody say it again, this. this. Say this. this, this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is not trying to escape Golgotha. He's actually trying to make it to Golgotha. He's trying to survive the garden experience so that he can complete his mission. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus, huh? Who was set on his mission, not struggling on whether he should do it or not, but wanting to survive the event of dying in the garden. Hallelujah. He had the cross on his mind. He had you on his mind. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Signifying what, by what death he would, he would have. Woo. I hope this helps you today. Then he came and found them sleeping. All right, brings his big three, his best friends. And he just says to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit, I kind of think he might have done something like this. The spirit indeed is willing. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? Guys just conked out. He's, he's, watch and pray. They can't even stay awake. I mean, Jesus is trouble. He is, he, if this guy needs, if there's any time that Jesus needs friends, it is now. All right? It's right now. And what are they doing? I have no idea. They're just so, so sleepy. Verse 39, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Verse 41, then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? They just kept falling back asleep. Okay, Jesus, our Father who art He said, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Wow. Disciples, we can't be too hard on Peter, James, and John. Matter of fact, we really identify with them quite a bit, don't we? These are the top three guys. I mean, these guys have seen really special events that not all the disciples got to see. They got to see Jesus transfigured on that mountain. They, they saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They saw Jesus in all of his glory. Can you imagine how do you ever recover from that, right? They got to go into the room where this little girl was laying dead, and Jesus sent out all the mourners and all the doubt. He didn't even let the rest of the disciples come in, only the top three. They got to see this girl rise from the dead right before their eyes. Wow. And now he needs them. He needs them. He's always been there for them. Jesus has always been there for them. He's always been there, and now he's troubled. He's distressed. Obviously, he is. He even tells them, guys, I'm dying. And what do they do? They go to sleep? Are you kidding me? Come on, guys. What's wrong with you? They're human. They're Adam. That's the problem. That's the problem. 
Because no matter how hard or how, 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 how hard a man tries to make himself right with God, no matter how hard he tries to do it, he's just as good as a disciple sleeping in the garden. They could offer no assist, assistance to the redemption process. They could do nothing. They were powerless to do a thing. That's how lost man was. Even his closest friends. Just asleep. Offered no assistance. Jesus, you're on your own. You're on your own. Turn to Luke 22. Are you still with me? Jesus, I mean Luke 22, 39. says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43. Then an angel came. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Disciples were useless to help out, so his father sent an angel. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And immediately his prayer was answered. Immediately his prayer was answered. An angel came. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I think it was really good for Jesus to see that angel feeling, feeling death right here and looking over and remembering home. Oh, so good to see you. Oh. But you know what? I don't know how long a period of that time that was. But verse 44 says this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The angel could offer no assistance in the redemption process couldn't stop the bleeding. Man couldn't do it. Angels couldn't do it. Jesus alone had to bear the full weight of your sin and my sin and the sin of all mankind. What a man. What an amazing Savior. All by himself. And then he says, my betrayer is here, one of his other close friends. There, show up, kisses him on the cheek, and Jesus says, Judas, you betray me with a kiss. And he looks up and he sees this whole regiment of troops that have been dispatched there from Jewish troops, that is. At that, the Bible specifically tells us that they were Jews. They come out with torches and swords and clubs and And he sees these men with hatred in their eyes. You know what he's looking at? Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? His friends are there. No help. His betrayer is there. He's certainly no help. And his enemies are there, and there's blood for all of them. There's bloodshed for all of them.
because it didn't matter how good his disciples were. They were just as lost as the enemies with the torches and the swords. Because without Jesus, we're all hopeless. Without Jesus, we're all lost. You can be as good as you want to be and still be the worst stinking, filthy sinner on planet Earth. Because you cannot save yourself without the blood that was shed for you. Hallelujah. But the good news is it was shed for you. Amen. Eden means pleasure. Gethsemane means pressure. Pleasure, pressure. God had to do what he could in the moment to cover up, to atone for the sin of Adam and Eve. So he took skin from an animal and he wrapped them in that skin and blood was shed from the animal and then he sent them out of the garden. And then Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes into the garden. God's so, I mean, his, his redemptive work is so perfect and thorough that he shows up in the garden and sheds blood, redeeming what happened right there. Because there is no other blood that can satisfy. No other blood can take away the sin except the blood of Jesus. Sweat mingled with blood. Sweat and blood. Sweat. Exertion means that you, can, you don't sweat without exertion. You, you struggle. And when struggle happens and when pressure's on, then you sweat. Jesus sweat for us. And men are sweating and doing their best to get good points with God. Hey, he already sweat for you. And his blood was mingled with that sweat. So that all you have to do then today is say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried in a tomb and he rose again from the dead. I believe that today. No sweat. Everybody say it. No sweat. No sweat. He sweat for you. He bled for you. Anybody, any believers in the house today? Huh? He bled for you. He bled at circumcision. He bled in the garden. All of you that are under pressure today, understand that no amount of pressure that you experience in this life will even compare to the kind of pressure that he was under facing separation from God, and you'll never know that experience ever. He was separated, so you never have to know the horror of being separated from Almighty God. Amen. Woo! Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.